Why, hello there. Welcome back to the Pure and Simple Bible Podcast. I'm Jonathan Edwards, and this is episode 132. It's the second episode in a series called Walk in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? If Galatians 5, 16, 18 tells Christians to do this, how do we accomplish it? That was a question that we began asking last week, and we're going to continue to ask it this week. So instead of making up our own interpretation, we can use the book of Galatians to better understand that particular passage. So the question for us is, can we in this mini-series do an overview of the book of Galatians to set a context and a proper perspective for how to walk in the Spirit? Well, Greg Branch is back from Oakdale, California, and he desires to do just that. So we're continuing in a series of studies to help us understand what the Scriptures mean when it says, walk in the Spirit. Now, if you remember from last week, we introduced you to Greg, asked some big questions about walking in the Spirit, and then we considered the book of Galatians leading up to this very important fifth chapter. And in this second study, I'm giving you a listener special. It's a super episode. I had intended for this to be a three-parter. I think I even said so last week. But I really couldn't find in the editing process, I couldn't find a good spot to break it into three parts. So I decided just to leave this second episode as one big, fat episode about chapter five and the remaining content. So it's a bit longer than my episodes normally run, and I leave it up to you to play and pause as you see fit. So, like I said last week, uh, something that Greg said that he does whenever he presents this study is that he reads through the book of Galatians before he presents it to whatever congregation he is uh, working with that weekend. And so I want to challenge you to do the same. If you pause right now and either pick up your Bible or open up your Bible app, I want you to read the book of Galatians if you didn't get to do it last week. Take about 20 minutes or so, I think that's what it's going to take, and read through the book. I really think it's going to enhance your takeaways from this conversation if you do spend some time reading the book of Galatians. So uh, get started there and then come back to this, and if you have, then hopefully you'll understand and appreciate how this will enrich the conversation and your understanding. So without further ado... Let's jump back into that conversation with Greg about walking in the Spirit. And so that's his, his call for them. He's saying, get back to the truth. Get back to the Word. You've got a cho- choice between freedom and bondage. With that choice, he transitions, uh, in my sermon anyway, to standing fast, therefore. Aha, so here we are in chapter 5. Here we are. <laughs> back, to, back to what we talked about in the intro. People have been waiting you know, but as they've learned, if they've listened to this program at all, it's a slow burn. You know, we, we like to give you a little tease and then uh, take our time getting there. So here we are back in chapter five, but we're still not even yet at verse 16 because we're now, now we've appreciated that opening phrase of stand fast, therefore. And so I guess I'd, I, I don't use that phrase very often. I don't tell my kids stand fast. It's time for to eat lunch or whatever. So what does Paul mean when he's telling them to stand fast? Right. Literally the Hebrew word, if I understand right, means to be station or the Greek word means to be stationary. Stationary. Okay. And so we know how to tell our kids, be still. Maybe you use the phrase, I hang tight. <laughs> it's kind of a, <laughs> that's a West coast a, thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's like, Stop in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Uh Stay there. Don't go back. You need to stay where Christ has freed you and don't be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Why was it bondage? Because it was somehow imperfect or, or not a good law? No, because it had no deliverer. There was no way to have freedom, to be free from sins. The questions that I ask, there are times when I feel that they are questions that that people are going to roll their eyes at because um, they'll think, oh, Jonathan, we already know that. 
but there are times when I guess I'm just that dense and I need to ask it for myself. But I also ask it for others because I have been guilty in the past of just assuming that everybody's, you know, they get what's going on here. And so when I look at chapter five, um, th- this question may be uh, simple, but I want to know how Christ brought about liberty and how we get entangled in bondage. Maybe we've already discussed that, but I think it'd be good because of the specific language here. It talks about we're going to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty of Christ and not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Can you just maybe uh, help me understand that for a moment? So I would say that if someone says, you know, what is this Christianity? What are you guys talking about? How did Christ do anything? Christ came to earth. He was this part of the Godhead. There was nothing created that we can see today without Christ's creative power involved as well. The earth, the heavens, the stars, us, nothing. He, he is an eternal part of the Godhead. But he gave up that, that home, that security, that perfection in heaven, because mankind had totally had no way of fulfilling righteousness like God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And mankind needed a savior, needed a way. The blood of bulls and goats could not forgive. And that's what the old law had brought was ways to roll forward and try to to, to do acts of works that would somehow appease God, but it didn't bring forgiveness. And God said there had to be a perfect sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness, the scriptures teach. And so Jesus was willing to come to earth and be made that blood sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice. He's described as the perfect lamb of God. And he was willing to live a perfect life among us. And then he was willing to die at the hands of sinful men to be the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And when he died on the cross for our sin, shed his blood when it's ours that really deserved to be shed. No, he went to the grave. He stayed there as was prophesied for three days. And he rose again. And when he rose, he was victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Amen. And he could become our mediator. And in that sense, it is through him that we can have our liberty, that we can have forgiveness that was never offered, that could never be achieved by any other way up to that that point since the history of man. Amen. I love hearing the gospel. And, you know, that, that wasn't necessarily in your notes, so kudos to you for being able to speak, uh, in my opinion, so effortlessly about it. But um, even though I've been around the gospel my whole life, to hear it explained again and again and again, um, there's no wonder why, it, to me, it's called the greatest story ever told. Amen. Because it's it's powerful each and every time from each and every person, and how there's this objective truth of what the gospel is, but there's also the subjective experience of how it has impacted or influenced my life or your life. So thank you um, for taking the time to explain that to us, especially for those who needed to hear about the liberty that Christ uh, provides and has set us free, and that when we try so arrogantly to use the law to justify ourselves that we do get in, entangled in it like a yoke of bondage. Is there anything else in That's right. In slide five? Have, have I gone too fast on this slide? No, this, the only thing that really comes to my mind is when he talks about then in verse four, you become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law, you've fallen from grace. What law is he talking about? Is he talking about any law? Is he talking specifically about a law? I can say contextually throughout the book of Galatians, every time he's used that phrase, by law, the law, it's always referred back 
in this book to the old covenant, the one mm -hmm. that came 430 years after Abraham, the one that required circumcision, the one that had no deliverer. And so I believe contextually that has to be the way we interpret this law. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and I I just add real quick that you know you asked uh, is it any law and some people might answer um in a roundabout sort of way that well we know it's not the new testament cuz uh there are there is no law law was taken away and we know several passages in the new testament that would would help maybe correct that perspective because we are under the law the law of Christ as Galatians right. will talk about here in a little bit in chapter six, the, mm -hmm. the law of Christ, uh, I think in James one, it talks about the law of liberty. And maybe that's you right. have that in your notes. I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not uh, stealing some thunder. Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> it, 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 the perfect law of liberty. Yes. It's like we have the perfect law now. Why? Because there's a deliverer in ours. We're no less responsible to keep it because it's a law of liberty, a law of freedom. In fact, it is because there's a deliverer that through this law, you can be set free. Yeah. Despite the fact that sometimes we yeah. sin. And yeah, that's, it's powerful. It's the best. It, it's perfect. <laughs> it's everything you want. Well, if David would write in the book of Psalms, you know, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And he's talking about the old law and how much better, how much sweeter you know, right. is the perfect law of Christ. I'll, I'll say this too real quick. Um, in Galatians 5 verse 4, I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit framed that verse with the phrase, you have fallen from grace. Because I don't know how many conversations I've had across my life where somebody says, you can't fall from grace. Right. You say, what if the Bible says it? You know, what? If, <laughs> it's not me. What if the Bible says it? And the, that's right. You show them Galatians five four and their jaw kind of drops, but it's it's frustrating when people will say that, and the Bible itself says you fall from grace. That's right. And if you're reading it, chapter and books, you don't cherry pick and miss that kind of that kind of thing. Right. Even though it seems like we're we're rushing through this, but. I can't take up the next two months of your time, right? <laughs> sure. Well, tell tell us about um, if we're we're kind of moving through chapter five, we're going to get to uh, verse sixteen mm -hmm. through eighteen about walking in the spirit. But um, in in verse five, where it says, "For we through the spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith," and it goes into this, um, I guess, section of spirit and not law. So, what was mm -hmm. What was happening with the, to these Christians? Yeah, the idea that they would somehow needed all these works of the old law to complete their faith or to make their Christianity really what it should be was just a total misunderstanding of it. He says in verse 6, he says, in Christ, circumcision or uncircumcision avails nothing, but it's faith working through love. So then somebody is saying, okay, look, I just want my righteousness by faith. I want my faith to work through love. It's just going to be whatever I feel. But verse seven, he makes sure we understand it. It's not just how you feel. He says, you ran well. Mm -hmm. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? There was obedience they needed in the truth. And by the fact they were going back to this old law that had so many inabilities to deliver them, they were falling from grace. They weren't obeying the truth. And he says, this persuasion, whatever's getting you to go back there, he says, it didn't come from the one who called you. It doesn't come from God. Yeah. In fact, this little phrase, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He, he indicates this is a very vocal minority. Yeah. That the church as a whole knew this. They, they needed to silence some people that were, were apparently very few. But sometimes in our tolerance, in our love, we make a mistake by allowing false doctrine to get too much of a voice. And we need to be loving and we need to be kind, but we can't allow false doctrine to go unchecked. Because right. if it does, people begin to start thinking in a different way. And leaders have to stand up and say, look, we love this brother, we love this sister, but 
this is this is heading in the wrong direction because of this and let's bring it back so that the body he says a little bit these few people will change the church in in Galatia and in a way that will just destroy any hope of salvation he says i have confidence in you verse 10 in the lord that you will have no other mind i trust that you're going to do the right thing i love that 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 positive reinforcement <laughs> you know we do that sometimes with people that we're hoping they do the right thing and we right. say look i know you can do this i trust you'll do this <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's almost like okay we're just we're going to pile on that confidence and, and instill it within them but the one who troubles you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. So now it's, this bring, this seems to narrow it down to it's, it's one person in particular. Uh-huh. And so he says, look, I know you guys will do the right thing. And whoever this is that's doing this, they're going to they're gonna be judged for this. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? The offense of the cross has ceased. And it gets back to the circumcision, and he uses this imagery that, you know, sometimes I, I think things that are in the Bible, I'm like, well, I can't believe he just said that. <laughs> he says, I wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Because <laughs> that circumcision, that's a cutting away of a, a part of the flesh. Right. And he says, I wish, I wish they'd just do that to themselves. Wow. Cut themselves off because literally they are the, the filth on the body of Christ. Let me ask you something. Uh, we've kind of touched on this a couple times now. But there seems to be a theme among people whenever they're trying to move away from one sort of false doctrine, that they swing so far that they go to another form of false doctrine. Mm-hmm. Is that what, what is kind of happening in, in verse 13, where, you know, they're, so far they've, they've got this squeaky wheel, whoever he is, that's trying to pull them back to law. And then Paul kind of pauses and says, hey... Uh, you've been called to liberty, only don't use it for an opportunity for the flesh. Is it possible that they could have swung so far that they would go to the other side and say, there is no law, you can do whatever you want? Absolutely. 100%. And it and it's easy to happen. In fact, we were, I was just talking with my wife this last few days about the situation we were dealing with, and I said, you know, nothing ever actually stays the same. Huh. life is is ups and downs love s- seems to constantly be changing and and when people start going one extreme they go back the other it's it's constantly a readjustment it's we love to hike in the mountains especially the boys and I and and when we get off trail and you're in the wilderness it's easy to veer off course and you're constantly readjusting course yeah good intentions you're you're heading to a good goal or whatever but there's constant readjustments and, and the compass is my friend. It's not, or the GPS, it's, it's not like, why is it saying go over there? I wanted to go over here. <laughs> well, it's cause I know the dest it knows the destination and I'm right. wrong. <laughs> and that's the word. It's, it's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that constant readjustment. And so, yeah, sometimes in an effort to avoid one extreme, we can find ourselves leaning too far to the other extreme. And you're exactly right. I think. He says, don't let this liberty imply that now you can just serve your flesh. Uh, and then he, he he transitions right there to verse 14. All the law, even if you go back to the law, he says, it's really fulfilled in one word, this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if you could really do that, what is the first and greatest commandment, right? <laughs> you know, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Or love the Lord thy God with all the heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. And the second's like unto it. Right, right. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour another one another, beware lest you're consumed by one another. I feel like that last phrase there in verse 15, um, we've been given ample opportunity to do that during 2020 because uh, the stress of lockdown, the stress of COVID-19 reaction, you know, it's been really easy to bite and devour. And I, I don't think people have thought through at sometimes that that can lead to the consuming of one another. That's, that's pretty powerful imagery, isn't it? Oh, 
Yeah. I, what could be, I mean, some of our worst historical moments of mankind have been when people turn to literally do that. It's disgusting. Yeah. And spiritually speaking, he, he, he makes that same imagery and you just, you destroy yourselves from within. Yeah. And then he uses that phrase. I say then, aha, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's the flesh that will take you to that point of destruction. But walking in the spirit, it's not like that. The reason is the flesh less against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. They're contrary to one another. So you don't even do what you wish. Sometimes you don't even behave the way you want to behave in the big picture because of this battle that's going on. But verse 18, we finally made it here. (laughs) (laughs) If you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. What law? The law that taught circumcision. We're not under the Old Testament law. And if we go back to that Old Testament law, we've fallen from grace. We've talked about Romans 15, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. The Old Testament has great value for learning and admonition, but not to direct the law, not to direct how we are going to present ourselves before Christ because it takes us to one of those extremes that has no deliverer. So we. So the question, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was, I was going to ask it for you. I'm, I'm the, I'm throwing the softballs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when we've arrived at verse 16 through 18, the scripture says to walk in the spirit, and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So on one hand, you know, it seems like a simple command because uh, it's very binary. It's very straightforward. I'm going to walk in the spirit. I'm not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if I'm maybe new to the faith, or dare I say it, you know, I've been a Christian for quite some time, but really I've been leaning on others and I've not really thought about it myself. And it's time for me to understand and make faith my own. How will I know the difference? Or what, what can we do to know the difference between how the spirit and the flesh works? You know, I think it's, I'm always amazed. And I shouldn't be. Half we, when we keep reading, the answer that for my questions are right there, and this is one of those cases. And yeah, you've in this case you you lob me the softball, and if I can just <laughs> stay back, <laughs> I can hit it. In verses nineteen through twenty one, he says, "The works of the flesh are evident; they're clear. Mm-hmm. They're right here for mm-hmm. us." And so this contrast that he wants to make when he says, don't fulfill the lust, don't go back, don't use it, you're this liberty as like it's some kind of license to do whatever you want. He said, the works of the flesh are, are clear, they're evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's a lot there to unpack. Um, Oh, oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, it's almost like you should read one at a time, and yet you don't want to skip them. Uh, What we get as a big picture is, look, there there are things, there are, Part of the perfect law of liberty is there's a way you cannot live. Right. And if there's any doubt and anybody that takes anything from any other verse proceeding in the book of Galatians to make them believe there is no law and that nobody can hold them to a moral standard has just failed to read the whole letter. You know, you look at that and you could very easily turn it into just a a little box of checklist items. I didn't do that today. I didn't do that today. Mm-hmm. I didn't do that today. But right. um, some of these, they they might be worthy of us pausing and, and maybe meditating on a bit, because dare we think that we're like the man, you know, we have nothing in our eye so we can get the speck out of others, and it ends up that we, we do have a plank in our eye. Um, 
are there any of these specifically that you might want to spend a little bit of time on that, that we could maybe uh, yeah, better I, appreciate them? I think there are some that, that come out to me. Um, you know, adultery seems pretty clear. Seems like, you know, you've got a married person. He's he's committed to his wife. He shouldn't be fooling around with other people. That We get that, right? But fornication, the, the Greek word is pornea. If I, I don't know, I'm not a Greek scholar, but it says a lot right there. It's, it's where we get our word pornography. It's this sexual deviancy. It's the excessiveness. It's, I think we have to be reminded sometimes that it does matter what our eyes view. Yeah. It, it leads us places. It takes us mentally in, in directions that is, and we know it's heading the wrong way. We're, we're ashamed of it. We don't go bragging to people about it. Right. Oh, in our conscience, we know, and he reminds the church that, uh, look, that's a work of the flesh. This lewdness, that's not one. I'm kind of like you said earlier about your kids. I never say, cut out that lewdness. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you look it up and, and it gives you a definition of licentious. <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay, that doesn't help <laughs> me a whole lot either. <laughs> And here's what it, if you look those words up in just an English dictionary, it's showing or intended to excite lust or sexual desires. So am I doing things? Am I behaving in ways that really the the target, the result is, is exciting the sexual desires of somebody else. And it, it matters how we behave. Yeah as Christians. And so we can look around and see how the other people react and know we don't have to define it. We don't need a Greek lexicon. Uh, we need to follow kind of our instincts. <laughs> and so while it is true, there are some ladies who dress modestly, who, who behave themselves godly, and still people have impure thoughts about them. Where they can, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier. We don't need to swing from one end to the other just because, right? You know, two things can be equally true, right? And this is a good reminder of it. You know, well, there's a whole section there of that we've looked at so far, um, where sexual problems seem to have been just as big as an issue in the first century church as it is in the 21st century church, and so isn't that the truth? And not not to make it comforting because we shouldn't be comfortable with sin, but that should show us that in 2,000 years, human nature really hasn't changed that much. But that's not the only type of sin, right? There's There are other that's right. there are other works of the flesh be, besides sexual temptation. What else is in this works of the flesh list? That's right. You know, I wonder in my mind, if God didn't know at least how to get through to me, open up my mind and get me saying, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then he says contentions. <laughs> That's quarrels. Yeah. It's pretty simple. Dissensions. It's divisions. It's he's like, pay attention to the way you treat each other. This it it harkens back to what he said about biting and devouring one another. This uh-huh. argumentative spirit, uh-huh. There's there's no place for that. You know, in the in the instructions to elders, it says that an elder is to be able to uh sharply rebuke someone who who is 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 in the wrong is a false teacher but i think it's fascinating that the ones who are instructed to sharply rebuke them are people who were ordained because of their compassion their gentleness their long suffering they had a character of patience right so there are times that you finally do have to get involved but he's choosing those ones who have those characteristics that will be a part of that. And there's nothing like that brother who's never really worked up and that brother who never goes off when he's finally steps up and says, now this has to stop. People listen. This idea of, of being divisive. You know, I believe Paul, as he finally concluded his letter to the church at Rome, you know, he dealt with issues there at the church in Rome and dealt with how they were split. He dealt even with subjects of things where there was no doctrine and was an issue of liberty. Uh-huh. And he comes down here in Romans chapter 16 and towards the conclusion of his whole book and says, Now I urge you, brethren, in verse 17, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. Pretty pretty straightforward. He says, just you notice those people and just avoid them. 
Why? Because people like that, those who are such, do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. By smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. He says, they got the speech down. It, they're, they're easy to listen to, but when it's just, when you realize they're dividing and and being offensive contrary to what I've taught you in this book, it's just, just, just avoid them because it's really, it's not about the Lord. They're not serving the Lord. They're, they're doing what they want to do. It, it reminds me of what Paul told them there in Galatians. He says, they zealously affect you, but they're not well. They just want you to be part of them. Yeah. And it's it sounds like about building up. It sounds like I'm I'm responsible to know. I, I got to be able to test these guys, whoever they might right. be, and so do you, and so does anybody who's a member of the church. Um, how dare we assume that we never have to grow spiritually, and that we're just going to leave it to somebody else to, you know, pick up the slack? But in all these cases, I'm sitting here wondering what kind of question I can ask for how, how can I know when somebody's being divisive? How can I know when right. somebody's, uh, they're bringing in divisions and offenses, et cetera. And really the only way I'm going to know is if I know the word, right? I'm, I can't That's just right. sit back and wait for somebody to come rescue me. That's right. It's the doctrine. It's, it's what we're reading now. You know, if, if somebody comes in and says, look, you know, we have no right to tell people that they they can't commit adultery. You know, right. it's none of our business. That's their marriage. Well, yeah, we can. It's in the doctrine. We can't tell somebody they can't be lewd. Yeah, we can. It's in the doctrine. Uh-huh. Now, defining some of those can be tougher, and we have to show patience, and we need wisdom. But when it comes to issues of doctrine, we can. In fact, for those that would do it, it's, it's that offense. It's that division that's being created there. Um, but it's, it always has to come back to the word. Right. And it seems and, like, uh, uh, sometimes we get confused by what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be an American, that because I'm an American, you can't tell me what to do because we have the bill of rights and it allows me to do anything I want, which for one thing, the bill right. of rights doesn't let you do anything, but, right. <laughs> but as Christians, we're, we don't, we're not a democratic organization that provides personal liberty so that we can pursue life, liberty, and happiness. Uh, we've been called, we're the Lord's bondservant, and therefore we don't get to, you know, if we want to do something but the Bible tells us not to, then we don't object to it. We are the Lord's slaves. Absolutely. Uh, it, that's it. If if Christ is our Lord, why would we not be subject to this king? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how would we be so arrogant as to say, well, I don't think that's really important. You, met, you referenced uh, Psalm 19 earlier, and it's at the end of that that David, he pled for God to keep him from presumptuous sin. Presumptuous sin. That sin that we commit when we presume, when we presume that, uh, well, that's not that big a deal. That's uh -huh. not. God wouldn't. Because it's when we begin to presume and stop letting the Lord be our king and give us, that's when... David seemed to recognize he could get himself into a problem that he could have some really big sin. That's powerful. Great sin. That's powerful. The presumptuous sin. I'm sure I've heard it before, but you know, at this point in time, that's something that I'm, you know, I'm going to take away from this conversation because there are times when I do feel like, oh, it's okay, you know, I've already tallied up all of this good that I've done, so I can have that. You know, this this yeah. thing. I'm being presumptuous. And I don't mean to imp imply that, you know, somehow, well, we're going to do a, you know, that we just perfect. It's really, it's, it's truly having faith that God's will is right. Yes. It'll give me the best life possible. It will result in the greatest results possible. Uh -huh. I mean, why would I not sell my, out my whole life to this wonderful way as opposed to works of the flesh? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Messing it up because I do what I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's jump back in. I don't know. We we've, could go on. Or... We, <laughs> we, yeah. We've kind of gone <laughs> off on a bit of a tangent, but I think the, the listeners are going to appreciate it. I appreciate it because sometimes you can read through a list like this one, Works of the Flesh in Galatians 5, and you can power through it in, in, in five seconds. 
and then your your reading carries you on to the next set of verses and you haven't had that chance to meditate on it so i'm thankful to meditate on it for a time um but there's a mm-hmm. few more um maybe could you wrap up this list of works of the flesh and uh give us some insight on these final pieces yeah the uh heresies is is cr- really quite an interesting um, verse i there seems to be an element of choice within a heretic that they are choosing to divide. Uh, I know Titus 3 and 10 says to in, the instruction to reject a heretic after uh-huh. the second admonition. Um, my mom used to give us three, you know, one, two, three, and on three, you're in trouble, you know. And, right. But it, it did get sometimes she'd say that's one. And then it got to where she'd just say that's three. <laughs> in other words, there's your first, the second chance it's no more because you're making a choice. Right. It's clear that this wasn't a mistake that you did that. Uh-huh. You were thinking, I got three chances, so I'm going for two at least. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, but a heretic is one who choose and their actions, their behaviors are consistent towards division. And then revelries. Uh, literally, that Greek word was the most one of the most interesting to me. It's a carousal, as if letting loose. In other words, that's oh. just going to do what I want to do. Usually, when I think of revelries, I think of uh, something to do with drinking. But that's is that the mm-hmm. case here, or is it not the case? Well, it could. It's a carousal, is how Strong's put it, which would be drinking parties, which could be all times. But does he describe that he's he described that whole as if just letting loose and mm. it's just going to party, just going to do whatever, just want, going to go have a good time and eat would, and drink for t- I, tomorrow we may die. Okay. Would I be, how do I interpret that as far as when it's the weekend or maybe somebody invites me to a birthday party? Is, is mm-hmm. that what's going on here? It, to me, it's building with, Everything that would be outside of what is morally good. And then the person might begin to say, well, then what, what are the good things that I should concentrate on? Now, we'll go there in just a second because he's going to tell us where to focus. Okay. You can okay. let loose and do great. There's no law against that. <laughs> there is no principle against that. These all seem to be things that fall in line with degrading the works of the Spirit. Okay. And being led by the Spirit instead just being led by fleshly desire. Right, right. But there is that one he uses there, and I, I'm convinced one of these days I'm going to do a sermon on it, and, this, and the title is just going to be in such like. <laughs> okay. But I may never do that either, <laughs> because what do you say? You know, we got to be careful when the Bible's silent that I don't begin to ask, you know, create my own list and build my own hedges. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's still, the Spirit did say, and such like. When you say in... Especially, I think it's the King James and such like. Uh, what are you What are you talking about? Right, this phrase here and such like, a lot of imagery, and so I don't want to create a hedge. Don't want to kind of create my own, you know, bylaws or my own ethical code of conduct that needs to accompany this letter to the Galatians. But I would encourage myself, my kids, anybody who's interested. Ask ourselves some questions. When I'm about to do something, ask myself if I'd do that if I could see Jesus. Mm-hmm. Would I drink this if I could see Jesus here in this place? Would I wear this if I could see Jesus here? Would I be saying what I'm saying? Would I be talking about what I'm talking about if I could see Jesus? And I used to ask, if Jesus was here, would I be doing this or that? But I realized that was a, it was a bad question because Jesus is here. Right. It's me who fails to see him. Right. Right. And the fact is, Jesus knows our business dealings. He knows if we're honest. He knows if we're, he knows all about our business dealings. He knows everything I joke about. I told the story about the uh, the basketball game. Jesus, he sees everything from a bleacher perspective and from what's going on on the 
play a field. Right. He's in the audience. <laughs> and I, I have this one in my notes. He's in traffic. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> but how I behave, my aggressiveness, my, my attitude. If, I, if he was sitting there with me, would I have the same attitude? And that's how I hope to define such life. I think it would be easy for people to agree with you, um, especially like on a Sunday, you know, that if you were to give this as a sermon and people are listening to what you're saying and they're saying, oh, yes, amen, amen. And, you know, that this is Jesus sees and, and uh, he I, I don't need to be doing these works of the flesh, et cetera. But do you think there's, uh, is it possible for us to, to maybe convince ourselves where this, this set of moral instructions is really applied situationally? Are we really, I guess what I'm getting at is, are we really good at compartmentalizing our faith where, uh, we could kind of, it's like a switch and we could turn it on and off. And if, if we are doing that, what are some, questions or instructions, some help you could offer. Yeah, I, I absolutely, I've seen it with myself and had to bring myself back into check. You know, the apostle Paul says he beats himself and brings his body into such objection, lest when he's preached to others, he himself is cast away because it's easy to say, oh yeah, I know that's true. I know that's true. But then we get in another situation we're like, well, no, I'm maybe not here. I mean, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we believe something's wrong. For instance, unless it's part of our job, our employment, it's kind of a condition of this job. So I just have to do it. I mean, I, I wouldn't do that otherwise, but right because it's my job, I, I guess it's okay. Right? Uh, are we doing it? You know, I wouldn't never would wear this personally, but I'm on a team, and so I have to wear this. It's 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 part of the uniform, or uh -huh. I mean, is is that really right? That that would be situational ethics and. Quite frankly, there's nothing in the New Testament that says, well, these principles that we're giving you here are just for when you're at services. Right. <laughs> no, in fact, the, the, the New Testament teaches that we no longer have this physical temple, but our bodies are now the temple of the living God. Uh -huh. We're 24-7. And so I, I don't think it's right to say, well, I know that's wrong to say that, but it's in the script. And so I'm, I can do this in the play. Because that's not me. Uh, that's right. Or it's wrong, but, you know, socially, I kind of have to do this because it would just be really awkward for all the people in my social circle. Uh, in fact, you take it to the law. Do we believe something's God's moral instruction? It's how it has to be unless the law says something to do different. You know, bring this into COVID. Ah, <laughs> oh, there you go. You know, there are times at which we, we, it's right or wrong, regardless of what the law says. If there's a direct commandment god's word rules it'll it supersedes the law uh right you know one of the questions that kind of to me kind of really helps me see it in a big picture is do we think something's wrong unless it's our children do it uh -huh. sometimes as parents we want our kids to be able to fit in so well that when they grow up and when they're on their own, we know we don't want them to do that. But we're since they're little or since they're our kids, since while they're young, we're going to go ahead and say, okay. Yeah. But, you know, I, as I think about that, I'd never let my children cuss. You don't take one, a little, <laughs> little toddler that's learning to say words and somewhere they picked up a cuss word and they start saying it. No, we, we, we retrain that. We educate, you know, we don't want them to do anything. We want it pure. Right. And, and I, and I think we don't need to give ourselves passes just because like that father sitting in the bleachers. Well, that's my daughter. I, I just, I know where he wanted his daughter to go to college. And I know that college has a dress code and she was violating the university that she was committed to go to with what she was wearing on that court. Wow. But it was different because it was a situation that, they didn't want to be different in. And as Christians, the works of a flesh are the works of the flesh 24-7. And so, yeah, I, I think situation ethics is, is tempting. But if I will bring myself back closer to the word, I think I'll, 
I'll dig out of that pit right. and get closer to the law of liberty that brings freedom because freedom's forgiveness and living in the light. Amen. Yeah. Now we're, we're, we have spent a lot of time, um, on the works of the flesh and rightly so, because that's where Paul begins. But I, I still ask, you know, how do I walk in the spirit and where does Paul take us next as he right. talks about, as he wraps up this, this one thought on the works of the flesh, um, he transitions into something else and, and how will that help me walk in the spirit? That's right. How do we know the such like? How do we know what we're involved in? When we let loose, if it's good, let loose. And that is verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now we could go to 1 Corinthians 13, talk about love. What a wonderful picture of love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Is When I let loose, is love let loose? Yes. Is joy. Mm-hmm. Is peace. Peace within, peace without. Am I, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. I, I love to think he didn't say blessed are the peace enjoyers. <laughs> <laughs> we like to enjoy peace. We like to, but are we a peacemaker? Right. Is, is that part of our fruit of our spirit? Is it peace? Is it long suffering? I think of verses that say, uh, and immediately following this one, kindness. He suffers long and is kind, long-suffering. That really, within the word itself, says you're going to suffer. Right. It's not all going to be comfort, but you're going to deal with it, even if it takes a long time. And in the midst of this longness, we still have love and joy and peace and kindness. Bitterness and this crusty spirit should not be part of the character of the Christian. Mm Mm-hmm. He's like, this is, you're kind to people. You can be kind even when you have to correct. Goodness, faithfulness. I mean, we've been talking about this. How do we, it's, we don't leave truth behind. You know, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Faithfulness isn't lost when you begin to walk in the spirit. It, it's where you're found. Yeah. Uh, gentleness. I mean, how much of this is just, so much to our attitude and our spirit, our character, and the way we treat people, that we're gentle as that goes on. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. In the midst of all the love and all the peace and the kindness and the goodness and the gentleness, we have faithfulness and we have self-control. They can't be lost. Yeah. If we're going to have this fruit of the Spirit. And against such, he says, there is no law. You can let loose in this all you want to. <laughs> <laughs> because it's, it's, it's all joy. It's all this. Those who, have cru- who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. All that works of the flesh, it gets crucified. I know a man who spent from about age 12 to somewhere in his mid-50s, he was a smoker and had tried all different kinds of ways to quit and, and nothing. He was always drawn back to it until his first grandchild arrived. Oh, wow. And when that first grandchild came along, talking with his son, his son said, Dad, I really want, I want this baby to know you. Like I didn't get to know my grandpa. Wow. And that man quit smoking. Now this isn't a podcast that I'm trying to turn into anti-tobacco or anything. I'm just saying from that day on, it crucified that that whole concept of of being able to get to know his grandkids Uh and not have that be a detriment to his health, crucified a passion he had. It was a change of heart towards it because it began to represent something that was ugly. And we can crucify within ourselves the flesh and its passions and desires when we see the ugliness of it. And we can begin to long for the beauty and the innocence that life has to provide and present. And when we do, we live in the Spirit, and we walk in the Spirit. 
So when I walk in the Spirit, um, I guess what I'm seeing visually is kind of a journey, right? Just point A to point Absolutely. B. I'm going from life to eternity, and walking just means a steady, a steady practice. There's nothing, I guess, super special where, you know, I have to hike Mount Everest or, you know, do something that's beyond my physical limits. Generally right. speaking, we can walk. That's right. You know, you talk about climbing Mount Everest, great analogy. The scriptures even refer to, you know, mountains and valleys. I'm not sure about Mount Everest. I should look this up, but here's what I do know. Boys and I told you like to hike. There's one place that we liked that we went this year, the total elevation gain, I think, was somewhere just under 4,000 feet from where we started. One of the boys looked at their little GPS thing when they got there and said, you know what, we climbed whatever it was, 3,000, some hundred and some feet. He says, but you know, we went downhill almost 2,000 feet. Huh. (laughs) And that's life. We thought we were climbing a mountain the whole time. You kind of lose track of the times that it's easy and you're you're able to walk downhill when you're climbing. Right. But there was over 3,000 feet of elevation gain. But we, in the process of that, went 1,500 or more down. And, and that's life. It's that ups and downs we're talking about. Sometimes it's created through ourselves. Sometimes it's created by life storms, circumstances. Just getting to the mountaintop is full of ups and downs and and just staying with it. Absolutely. It's the fruit of the spirit, that confidence, that willing to, to keep the right attitude and deal with whatever we have to deal with all along the way. So really focusing on the cross. <laughs> right. Right. It is. It's a, right. there's a mindset of, you know, what you talked about back at the beginning of chapter five, um, about the liberty in which we've been set free from Christ. You know, that's my motivation for the fruit of the spirit. It's not, you know, in the same way that the the works of the flesh is not a checklist for me to, if I just can avoid these things, then I'll be good. You know, there, it's representative of, of all that would separate us from Christ. And I think that's the same here with the fruits of the Spirit. This isn't a checklist for me to do. And if I could just do these things once a day, then, you know, God's going to have to allow me into heaven. There's a mindset that I belong to Christ, and uh, therefore I do these because of what Christ has done, and I love him, and there's this is the life for me now. Maybe if we could transition into chapter six, mm-hmm. um, you you talk about chapter six being only in the cross. So that's kind of like where I was trying to go with it. It's I'm taking this walking by the Spirit with the mindset of it's it is for Jesus, and I'm doing this because of Jesus, and it's all about Jesus. What what do we see in Galatians chapter six? That's right. He begins this, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. He's like, you know what? Along this way, you've been given this instruction, but when people fail, let's restore them. Yeah. Be gentle and treat them like you would want to be treated. And he basically points them back. He says, bear each other's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ and turn yourself back to Christ. Let him in verse six, who is taught in the word, share all good things with him who teaches. Let this become back in how you treat each other. And uh, ultimately in verses 11 through 15, he, that's where he focuses on the glory of the cross. God forbid, verse 14 says, that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Mm-hmm. It's where I, it's in Christ is where I, I, I seek a new relationship. That doesn't mean that we're turning our back on everybody else and we walk away from them never to talk again. In fact, as a Christian, we see we become more beneficial to the people in our world than we could have ever been before. Uh, the final question that, that I'll ask is, uh, here we are at the end of Galatians, and um, if we've missed something and, and you want to maybe highlight it here, or uh, if there's a final thought that you'd like to offer about walking in the Spirit, then what would you tell our audience to end our discussion today? I think I would say at this point, if I was going to give 
the listener, if I give myself anything, I'll tell you what I typically do at the end of a sermon. First chance I get when I get finished back home, back wherever, is I read the text again. Uh huh. And I would encourage the listeners, go back and read the book of Galatians and fit what we've been talking about into that. The whole goal that I have is for people to not be told what to believe, but to learn that they can read for themselves and through communicating with others about these words, come to a complete and thorough understanding together and stand united on this truth. Mm -hmm. And I personally will reread it after we're done here, even with this, because I can't tell you how many times I thought, oh, wow, I got to, I got to add that to my notes. I got to change this. <laughs> it never changes. One of the things you asked me was, you have no notes. <laughs> when we were talking, it's like, how do you, what's your style here? And it literally, every time I preach is a little different, not because the truth changes, but because circumstances of my life and the application and the understanding they, they're fluid. The things that stuck out in 2020 that have never stuck out before because of these circumstances. I mean, we're all full of those stories. Yeah. It's the same truth. It's just every time we get a deeper understanding, the water gets clearer as we look down <laughs> or as we look up, we yeah. see through, there's less clouds and we can see more clearly what we're, it's, Brother Dwayne Pernamaner said one time years ago, he says, uh, read the Bible every year. He says, you'll find out. And I don't know if his, somebody told him that his grandpa or if he'd said it, but about the third or fourth time, it really starts talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. It's So I would say, go back and read it. And when it comes down to walking in the spirit, and when it comes down to what the book of Galatians teaches about truth and about even the basic doctrines of baptism. Yeah. No one should ever go to the book of Galatians to say, don't tell me there's that I have do's and don'ts. They should go to the book of Galatians and see that walking in the spirit, it's all about life choices uh-huh. and, uh, uh-huh. and point to the cross and keep going. Well, brother, um, I'm so thankful and grateful that you, you came on today and I hope people like you said, we'll read the book of Galatians. It's worthy of their time and it will help them walk in the spirit. So thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you. Well, thank you, Brother Greg, again, for being on the podcast like others before him. There was some hesitation about the recording. You know, this format is different than pulpit preaching and it takes some getting used to. A lot of guys are okay with pulpit preaching, but then to ask questions or to be called on uh, and, and given questions where you're, you're maybe not prepared for every single one or maybe some of the questions are not in the notes, it can be a bit of a challenge. But Greg did a phenomenal job. I enjoyed the conversation. I've already got some good feedback from it. So, brother, you knocked it out of the park. Now, PSB listeners, if you enjoy this podcast or if you follow PSB on YouTube or other platforms, and you know of a preacher or a teacher that you think would do really well on the podcast that could be interviewed and would like to share some sermon content in a discussion format, please send me an email or get us connected somehow. I'm always looking to fill my schedule with uh, conversations so that I can try to release an episode every Monday. And I'd love to have your help. So email me your suggestions or get me in touch with the people that you think would be good for the program I really want to do my best to keep the content rolling through 2021. Now remember, PSB resources are available, and they're mainly free. You can download any of the resources at the website for free. And I really want to push the workbooks. I love these workbooks. They are uh, a, an essential part of my ministry. I use them with people that I study with. I've baptized people after studying through these workbooks because... All they are is an organized effort to get people face-to-face with Jesus Christ and the gospel. So if you're interested in those, check them out at pureandsimplebible.com backslash study series. And you can check out all the other stuff that is there on the website for you to use and download absolutely free. Until next week, 
This is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, his real